0: Mm 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 I'm not going to stick with that forever. Uh, Hey, everyone, great to see you here. Love, uh, just love to see everybody. What an incredible morning of worship um, already. Love having our guests today. I want to say hey not only to those of you who might be here for the first time, and if your New Year's resolution was to go to church, congratulations, 100%. You're doing awesome. I want to also say hey to the folks that are gathered in the sanctuary as well. Excited about a new year. I don't know what, what you think about a new year. I know in some ways just another date and another number on the calendar, but there is something about a new year that feels like a fresh start. I think about that not, not just as a pastor, but as a husband, as a dad, just thinking about who, who are we as people, who are we as a family, who are we as a church, and today we're going to dream a little bit about who we are, and I'm so glad to not only have those of you who have been with us for months or years but also those of you who might be here for the very first time, just figuring out what this whole thing is all about. Have any of you uh, ever been to this, this little town on the, on the West Coast in California, San Luis Obis- Obispo? Anybody ever been there? A couple hands. Yeah, beautiful place. Um, lots of beautiful things to see there. One thing that they are known for, you may not know this, something they are known for in that community is something they call a bubblegum wall. I don't know if you've seen this. It's kind of fascinating and disgusting at the same time. For decades, people have chewed gum, stuck it on the wall, and it has just built over time. People have put messages through gum in the wall, and it's a bit of a rite of passage. If you're in that community, their their thing is this bubblegum wall. And and when I when I see that that's their thing, I think about, "Hey, what's what's our thing?" As, as a church, what's our thing? And it's something I've been thinking about, been praying about, and actually came up with an answer. We're gonna actually start a bubblegum atrium. It's gonna be amazing. We're gonna, uh, as you leave today, just kidding, don't do that. Please, don't do that. No, we we are thinking today about our thing. Now, our mission statement as a church is that we exist to help people find truth, belonging, and purpose in Jesus. We we think that everyone here is wired to look for truth, belonging, and purpose. And you're gonna be tempted to try to find that in all kinds of things and people, but it is only Jesus, it's only Jesus, amen, that can satisfy what your soul longs for. And in our endeavor to help people discover truth, belonging, and purpose, what, how, do, how do we do that? What, what should we focus on? Where should we spend our time, our energy, our money? That is going to be something that we are dreaming about, um, that I'm simply calling our one thing in 2024. But before I share with you what that thing is, I want us to go to a passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorites. It's in John chapter 15. And this is such a beautiful passage that summarizes a lot of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Jesus here is preparing his own followers, his disciples for his departure and I, I love what he says here. Really, the whole, the whole passage is John 15:1 through 17. Today, we're going to read the first eight verses, and then in a few minutes, we're, we're going to try to dwell on what these mean for us today. But if, if you would, if you're physically able, we do this every week, would you stand together? I want to read for you John 15, 1 through 8. this is what Jesus says to his followers and to us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me... And I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, from apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you my father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples father as we read this text we pray what you ask us to do lord we we want to prove to be your disciples lord we want to bear fruit And that comes from abiding, remaining in you. Lord, would you help us to do that? And we'll pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Our one thing in 2024, that's the kind of thing that I pray about as your pastor. I don't presume that you pray about that or think a whole lot about that and that's okay. I don't expect that you came in here thinking about what is our one thing as a church in 2024. But it's something that I pray about, it's something that I think about quite often as I feel like it's my responsibility to always be thinking about where we're headed and are we in alignment with God's will and his purposes and his word. And and I do feel like I have a direction, a sense of where God wants us to focus our time and attention not in only in this year, but in the years to come. And it's not anything that's incredibly new or novel, yet it's so vitally important. But to get there, I need to zoom out a little bit. And, and look, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna be saying some things today that may be way over your head, but I want you to try to track with me. But if you are a follower of Jesus, I think you're gonna see where I'm going with this. But let's start with just God's big picture, zoom out. What, what is it that God is doing in the world today? I love this verse in Habakkuk 2.14. That's in the Old Testament, that really clean section of your Bible on the left. Habakkuk 2.14, it says this, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I love that prophetic image of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord spreading across the whole earth, just like the waters cover the sea. Now that is that is easier to read than to believe because you look at so much darkness today and the way people treat one another and the wars that are happening, and the way, people that, the way people manipulate and take advantage of other people. Maybe that's what your year's been like, you've been taken advantage of. We, we look at so much darkness, and it's easy to forget that God is actually working. God is moving in ways we sometimes see and often in ways we don't see for this glory of His to be known throughout all the earth for all eternity. And one day God's going to restore this earth again. A few weeks ago... At our Christmas Eve service, I know a lot of you were here for that, we light candles. And that is such a beautiful picture. Maybe is your favorite part of the service. It's certainly mine. And I often will say something like, hey, as the candle spreads throughout the room, it's the picture of the, of the light of Christ overcoming the darkness of this world. And, and it's a beautiful picture and one that I think that we'll just keep doing again and again year after year. But in a way, it's also a condemning picture for the church often. Because that's often how we live. We we are very proud to light our candles in the church building. But then we blow them out and we go into the world and often forget about this mission that God has for the knowledge of his glory to be spread through you and me throughout the whole earth. Which leads to a point of emphasis that I want you to consider with me this morning. I don't expect you to walk out of here today and adopt this as the mission of your life or even to be passionate about it, though I hope that you will pray about it and seek God, what do you want me to do with this? But it's something that I've been praying about, something I've felt convicted about, something that I have felt led to do to lead us in, not only in this year, but in the years to come. And it's something I've mentioned before, though have never really unpacked in the way that I intend to do in this series, Things That Stick. So let me go ahead and give it to you, and then we'll begin this process of teaching and revealing what this is and why it matters. Our one thing as a church in 2024 is this, that we endeavor, we want to create a culture of disciple-making. We want to create a disciple-making culture. Now, If you're a church person, you might might know where I'm going with that. You might know what the word disciple means or even disciple making, though my hunch is many of you don't. But the reason that I think this is where God wants us to go really comes from several different motivations. Number one, Jesus was all about disciple making. And here's a quick little rule for those of you who are new to church. If Jesus does it, it's a pretty good idea, all right? And and that reason alone should be good enough to say if Jesus spent the majority of his ministry making disciples, then we should probably spend a majority of our life as his disciples making other disciples. That's certainly the most important reason why this needs to be something our church takes seriously. But there are other reasons. Some are just practical. Like for instance, I've seen the most spiritual growth in my life and I have seen you grow exponentially when you were in some kind of intentional disciple-making relationship. I think that can take various shapes and forms. It can look like different things. But I've seen that in my life. For those of you who have been in that kind of relationship, you've probably seen that in your life. It, it just simply works. Why? Because I think it's the way of Jesus. Another thing that's led me to this is just thinking about, about the lessons we learned in COVID. I know that seems like an eternity ago, and but I remember in 2020 when we were not able to meet in the way that we were used to meeting and had been meeting for for decades, and we had to pivot. You remember that? We had to adjust, and we did all kinds of innovative things during COVID. We encourage you to be to be taking the message of Jesus into your neighborhoods. And a lot of you did that. You, you would have Bible studies in your homes. You would have these, whether you call it disciple-making or not, you do these things in your workplaces. We would cook meals and, and take them to our neighbors. We were figuring out all these ways to meet the needs of our neighbors. And all of a sudden, we had all this margin and time to invest in these relationships and to think about how do we spread the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord in our neighborhood and around the world. And, and it was awesome. And we touched that disciple-making culture for just a moment. But, but... As normalcy came back and your schedules began to be filled again with practices and work events and getting back to normal, the disciple-making culture that we just touched began to evaporate. And and now here we are again kind of doing the same thing we've always done. And and it is often not doing disciple-making the way that Jesus did it. A last thing that has been convicting for me, and this may not be true for you because I don't know where you've been, but as I've had the chance to travel around the world, what I see is God doing amazing things. Now, you're not going to see this on the news, but we have our sent ones in some places doing amazing things, and most of them are not able to meet in big buildings, either because it's It's not affordable or it's illegal, but God is moving and saving and changing, and it is amazing seeing scores of people come to Christ, and almost all of them do it through relational disciple-making. I think that's where we're headed. I think that's what we need to be about, and and I want the privilege both today and in the next four Sundays to begin to share some of the heart of this. Now, next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the how. How? And we're going to take an in-depth look at how Jesus made disciples. But today we're looking more at just this concept of disciple, discipleship, disciple making, and why we should do it. Jesus Christ spent the majority of his time making disciples. The, the ancient uh, Hebrew or Aramaic word for it is Talmid. That would be a disciple, a Talmid. If you had more than one, it was a Talmudim, the plural version Of disciples. And and Jesus spent his time investing in a few people. Now, when we we think about the ministry of Jesus, we tend to think about the crowds. The miracles, the fact that he fed, you know, 5,000 with fish and loaves. And and yes, he did some stuff with crowds. But if you read the four Gospels, you'll see that Jesus spent a majority of his time with his 12 disciples. And even beyond that, he spent his majority of his time with three of those disciples, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus invested in them. Now, when we think about discipleship, we often think about being a learner. And that's because just about everybody here was raised in a Western educational model where we do what we're doing right now, right? You sit there and someone's in front of you, whether it's at church or in a classroom, and that someone talks and you think and you listen and you process and you write notes and you do the things that you're doing as you're listening to me. But, but in the ancient context, discipleship was never simply someone talking and you just being quiet and taking notes. It was following and copying Maybe the closest word we have is the word apprentice. I love what one person said about about this. He said, when Jesus tells us to go make disciples of people throughout the world, he's calling us to first dedicate ourselves to the tasks of living, eating, sleeping, working, playing, loving, suffering, bleeding, and breathing every moment of our lives with God so that his deepest purpose becomes ours or better that we become his purpose. And Jesus spent his time saying, hey, watch me, follow me, and I'm going to give you things to do, and I'm going to watch you, and I'm going to help you and empower you. That's what disciple-making is all about. So what, what is a disciple? Again, some of you know that word, and I bet if I asked our two venues today, hey, what's the disciple? We would get 300 different versions, probably all would be helpful in some way. But we've been praying about this as a, as a pastoral team Uh, I've shared this with our elders over the weekend. We had our elders retreat this past weekend. We talked about what what do we mean when we say a disciple? Well, this is loosely based on Matthew 4.19 that we may get to in in another week. But this is our definition of disciple. I'd love for you to at least write this down in your notes today. What, What is a disciple? A disciple is one who has found Jesus, is following the ways of Jesus, and is leading others to do the same. That's what a disciple is. Someone who has found Jesus, is following the ways of Jesus, and is leading others to do the same. All those verbs are very important. So the first part, has found. There has to be first this conversion moment whereby you are born again, you cross over from death to life, you come to know Jesus, whatever biblical picture you want to look at, you're adopted into the family of God. But but it's like the old Amazing Grace song says, right? I once was lost, but now I'm what? I'm found, yeah, so there has to be a time when you find Jesus, and by the way, he's found you, but, but discipleship is not merely like, hey, I was saved 30 years ago, and I'm good to go. I got my ticket into heaven. No, 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 being a, being a disciple of Jesus is about daily dying to those selfish desires and, and learning to live in conformity with Christ. So there has to not only be a found, but there is a is following the ways of Jesus going to talk about the ways of Jesus. But what I've noticed is that a lot of people here at Johnson Ferry and this is probably true of most churches, we're all about the hey, I found Jesus and I'm following Jesus and I'm his disciple. Wonderful. But what's often missing is the disciple becoming a disciple maker. And to truly be a disciple in the way that Jesus says to be a disciple, we need to be leading others to do the same thing. Do you have stuff in your life? Do you have junk in your life? Do you have things in your life that need to grow and shape? Of course, just like all of us do. But God's desire is that you are not only a disciple, but you are a disciple maker. And that's where we want to spend a lot of our time and energy into praying about how are we as a church creating a culture of disciple making. Now, I don't know how this lands with you, but I'm I'm going to make a couple guesses because I know that in East Cobb, North Atlanta, we live in a very performance-oriented culture. And there's some of you that already, I'm talking about disciple-making, and you're thinking, oh, this is awesome. I love discipleship. I love disciple-making. It's changed my life. Finally, I'm so glad your pastor is talking about this. This is what we need to be about. And that's awesome because that's about five of you. And I love that you five are here. I love it. I love it. You five are awesome. But the majority of you hear this as like one more thing to do in an already hectic and busy life that you don't have time for, right? Because that's how we tend to view these types of things. I I go to a gym down the street, Iron Tribe. Um, I love going to Iron Tribe. It's a great gym. And we do these little challenges at Iron Tribe where... For a certain number of days, you have to do a certain, you know, number of disciplines, workouts, that kind of thing. And then you get to do the best thing ever. You know what it is? You get to put a sticker on the chart. (laughs) You know how satisfying, I think I'm just like a third grader, right? Like how satisfying it is to put that self-righteous sticker right on that chart. And and I'm, I'm afraid in our kind of performance sticker chart culture, that we hear discipleship is like just a big, long list of stuff to do in an already busy life. Which is why, before we, before we ever touch the how to disciple, we need to really dig into your heart in the why. Which is why we need a passage like John 15. We've already read it, and it deserves way, way more time than I'm giving it this morning but I want us to just dwell on this passage a little bit because I think this is really the key to being a disciple, this passage. Now to to help illustrate this, I have here in front of you a blueberry plant and so I think this is gonna be helpful, a blueberry bush. Uh, They'll be helpful to prove Jesus' point. Now Jesus talks about that he's the vine. Now no doubt when Jesus talked about being a vine, he was talking about being a grapevine but they didn't sell grapevines at Home Depot. So we have a blueberry bush, which I think will serve our purposes just as well. But put your eyes back on that text if you have a Bible in front of you. And if you're new here, I want to encourage you to get a Bible, bring a Bible with you. Let's look at a few things here that I think are so vitally important. First of all, Jesus says in the beginning, verse 1, that he is the true vine. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus uses all these I am statements. Here he's saying, I am the true vine. Now, that would land in a Jewish culture different than it does for us. Because if you grew up Jewish, reading the Old Testament, it was always Israel that's referred to as the vine. And often Israel is condemned in the Old Testament for not producing fruit in the way that they should. But Jesus comes along as God and says, no, no, no. I, I am the true vine. I am the source of life. And so he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. And then he says this in verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Think about this blueberry bush. God has designed this bush to produce fruit. Now, this bush doesn't look like much now. It's kind of scrawny. doesn't have a lot of fruit, even a lot of leaves on it. But if taken care of properly, this blueberry bush at some point will produce blueberries. That's how God has designed it. God's desire is that you, as his follower, would produce fruit. Now, if God's the vine dresser, he has to look at these plants, and there may be, there may be portions that look dead, and he'll He'll prune them away so they don't suck energy from that. I have to be careful what I prune because I have three services. But he he prunes that which needs to grow. And sometimes he may look at, you know, a, a a part that's not growing, and he may simply just take it off altogether. Now, once this is removed from the bush, what will happen to this eventually? It'll die. It'll dry up and die. It'll become a stick which is good for nothing more than to throw into the fire and to be burned. So this is both an encouraging and a condemning passage. Jesus saying, look, God is the source of life. He is the vine. Jesus is the vine. And and his his heart is in verse 4. What's it say? That you would remain in me and I in you. Now, your translation may use the word abide, But the concept is the same, that you would stay attached to me as the source of life, that you would dwell in me, that you would find me as the source of everything you're looking for in your life, that you would abide in me, and the product of that is that you would bear fruit. Now, the reason this is so important in discipleship and being a disciple is that God is not merely wanting to change your behaviors. He wants to change your heart. It is possible through the right training to change someone's behavior. Here, here's an example of that. Chick-fil-A. Now, Chick-fil-A is a great company. I love Chick-fil-A. We have a lot of wonderful people in our church who work for Chick-fil-A. Uh, Christian Chicken. It's an amazing company. We love Chick-fil-A. Uh, and, and what's amazing, not only in addition to the great tasting food there, is that somehow it's a miracle they get 16-year-olds to say, my pleasure. That in and of itself is amazing. And I love the little game. I love to find some way to serve them so that I can say, my pleasure, back to them. It's like dad jokes all day long. I love that kind of stuff. But let's be honest. Is it possible for a 16-year-old to say, my pleasure, and not actually believe that it is their pleasure? Is that possible? See, See, you can train people to do things that don't necessarily align with their heart. Disciple making is not merely just you getting new habits of reading the Bible and praying and going to church and giving some money, though all those things matter. Disciple making is ultimately about, about you seeing Jesus as the source of your life and you abiding in him. And Jesus says that if 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 you abide in me, you will bear fruit. Now, one of the questions is, what's the fruit? I mean, Jesus never tells us what the fruit is, so we're left to guess a little bit. But when we read the rest of the Scripture, I think that we can figure out at least some of what the fruit means. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you've heard this before. Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all those things. When we're abiding in Christ, we become more loving. We become more gentle. We have a peace from God. That's the product, the fruit. But but I've also seen that a lot of Christians, a lot of followers of Jesus, only think about character transformation and they miss another huge part of what Jesus means by fruit. If you'll just scan your eyes down to verse 16 in John 15, Jesus is saying this to his original 12 disciples. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, talking about his 12 disciples, and appointed you, that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Now, I think the clearest way to read that is for fruit there to mean people. I've appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. In other other words, there are other people whose lives will be changed by by the gospel, by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit through you. Now, Jesus says a lot of other things in this, like if, you, if my words are in you, ask whatever you wish. I, I love that. That doesn't mean that Jesus is saying, hey, you want a Ferrari? I'll give you a Ferrari. But if you're abiding in Jesus, did you know he changes the things you want? I, I read somebody on uh, social media, I think it's Christy Knuckles, who's a worship leader. She said, uh, I think her mom died and her dad was praying this prayer for her his kids at the funeral, I love this. He said, he said, God meet their needs, not their greeds. You see, when you're abiding in Jesus, the list of the stuff that you need and want begins to change. But the point of this is, is that Jesus' command is not what we think it is. You might read this passage and think, all right, Jesus' command is you need to go and bear fruit. Go produce fruit. Character, other people come to know Jesus, being his disciple, go do that. Go produce fruit. But that's not actually the command. The command of this passage is not go bear fruit. The the passage is all about abiding in Jesus. The command is abide in Jesus, allow Jesus to abide in you, and you know what the product will be? It will be fruit. A lot of you in 2024 don't need another chart to put stickers on, but you need to learn to truly abide in Jesus. Jesus. And The result, if you're truly abiding in Jesus, is that fruit will come, the fruit of your own life being changed, but also the fruit of other people hearing of Christ, coming to Him, you investing in them, them growing up in the things of Jesus, and one day them doing the same to others. That's the process of disciple-making. A disciple is one who has found Jesus, is following the ways of Jesus, and is leading others to do the same. That, that is God's heart for his church. Now, there's a lot of things that our church does, and there's a lot of events and activities and programs, but at the heart of what we are trying to do here is not entertain you like you're a bunch of consumers or you came to a concert to be entertained. Our desire is to help you grow in abiding in Jesus so that you will produce the fruit that He wants to produce in your life. And, and make no mistake, that starts with abiding in Jesus. There are a lot of you today that you are currently not a disciple of Jesus. Let's just be honest. Like you come to church every now and then, you kind of play around religion, you might be asking questions about God, and that's good, I'm glad you're doing all those things. But until you surrender your life to Jesus, believing that he is the son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was raised from the grave to give you the promise of eternal life, and that he sends his Holy Spirit into your life to start to change your heart and your wants and your desires and what you think you need. God does all that through Christ and then he wants to grow you. Discipleship is not merely like getting out of hell and getting into heaven. No, discipleship is this daily pursuit of following Jesus. Which is why when we talk about disciple-making, we want to help you follow the ways of Jesus. What are the ways of Jesus? There's a bunch of them. Probably dozens and dozens that we could say are the ways of Jesus. We have identified what we believe are five ways of Jesus. I think there are more than five, but these are five that you're going to hear us talk about, that you have heard us talk about in the past I think these are important. And when I give you these five, I don't mean these as merely just five actions that you go do. These are like identity statements over your life. What are those five things? What are those ways of Jesus? Well, the five that that we often mention around here are worship, community, service, generosity, and multiplication. Again, it's not just, hey, I went to worship. No, no, no. It's, are you truly a worshiper of Jesus? Yes, on Sunday morning, but how about Monday through Saturday? How about learning the spiritual disciplines that help you to abide in Jesus? That's what a life of worship looks like. Are you a worshiper? Community. Do you truly live in community? Now, you may be with a big group of people. That doesn't mean you're living in community or biblical community, but to participate in community means that we are in a community of love and nurture and encouragement, helping one another in the things of the gospel. Service. Jesus said, if you want to be great, let's be honest, a lot of us in 2024, I want to be great, wonderful. You want to be great, Jesus says, become a servant. How are you doing at just being a servant? Is that your identity? Is that who you are? How about generosity? Are you known as a generous person? Does God look at the way you spend your money and your time and your resources and all your stuff and go, Thank you for being so generous. How about multiplication? Are you always multiplying? Are you always thinking, God, how do I bear fruit in the sense of multiplying the life of Jesus into someone else? One verse that I'm going to look at in a couple of weeks, I think is so important. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Could you say that? Hey, watch me. Watch me. Imitate me and watch how I follow Jesus. And one day you can do that too, with his help. The whole point of this series, Things That Stick, is helping you discover what it means not only to be a disciple of Jesus, but to become a disciple maker for Jesus. And, and I don't expect you to hear this today and to think, oh, I'm bought in, I'm ready to go. Let's let, Because I think this is the kind of thing that's going to take a lot of prayer, a lot of Thinking through what this means for your life, but we do want to help you. Let me give you a couple resources that you might want to look at this week that I think will be tremendously helpful to just continue on in you thinking and dwelling on what you've heard today. I'll give you three. First of all, uh, I'll put them up on the on the screen here. First of all, I want you to see that we have a podcast that we do at the church. I think we have two seasons recorded. Really helpful stuff, a lot of the nuts and bolts of, of disciple-making. It's called Discipleship Download. You can find that wherever you uh, get your podcast, and we'd love for you to subscribe to that and uh, just listen to it as you go to work or you're taking a walk or, you know, whatever you, whatever you do. Also, we've recorded a series of conversations and will be throughout this whole series called Continuing the Conversation. It's something we often do to try to connect Sunday to Monday. It's one thing to hear this from the stage on Sunday morning, but what's it look like at the office on Monday morning? And the heartbeat of continuing the conversation is that that you would learn that. So go to our YouTube channel and subscribe to that and stay in touch with with these great conversations. Also, hey, there's an old school way. Uh, This Wednesday night, if you want to learn more about disciple-making, we just call it Disciple-Making 101. And we'd love to teach you more about how you can become a disciple-maker and you can go to the hub on our website at jfpc.org and learn more about where that is and when that is and how to get plugged in. But I want you to pray about that. I want you to think about this. Now, as I came into this morning, this is something in terms of creating a culture of disciple-making that I, I've been thinking about, I've been praying about, and want to present to you today. I, I don't expect that you grasp this all or even want to go do it all, but I do think it's important not just to teach you the hows of disciple-making, but maybe just paint a picture of what it might look like if Johnson Ferry truly had a disciple-making culture. So so if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to just maybe share with you a few thoughts that I wrote down of of things that might be normal if we truly had a disciple-making culture. And I I wonder if you would agree with these. Like, for instance, if we had a disciple-making culture, I, I think that we would see our primary mission field not as the church building, but as the places where we... Work, we live, we learn, like school, we play. I I think that if we had a disciple-making culture, our prayers would be less about our own self-glory and kind of our stuff and more about God's glory and our prayers would be more focused on his movement, on his awakening, on his revival coming to this community and this world at large. I I think if we had a culture of disciple-making, it would mean that more of us would stop being passive consumers And become active contributors to the mission of God. I think that if you own a business and you had a heart for disciple making, you would try to use that business, maybe you have a small business, and you can disciple your employees to some degree, or at least model the things of Jesus to them and invest in them with intentional conversations about life. Maybe, this sounds crazy, maybe you own a small business and it might be time to expand But you say no to expansion, maybe not forever, but for right now, because if you said yes to expansion, you wouldn't have any margin in your life to disciple your employees or your, your kids. I think that's what happens when you get a heart for disciple making. It means as a follower of Jesus, you're almost always praying for three or four people to disciple for an extended amount of time. I think it means that you're intentional about connecting with your neighbors, trying to host dinners to get to know them with the hope of having some kind of faith discussion, who knows, maybe even one day studying the scriptures together, helping them to find Jesus. That's what disciple-making cultures produce. It means as a church that we are equally as passionate about releasing and sending people into the world as we are about accumulating and growing here at 955 Johnson Ferrier Road. I think that as a church, if we have a disciple making culture, it means that we have a strategy for raising up future leaders through internships and residencies and intentional ways to send, I think it means as a disciple, there's a generosity of spirit and your possessions that you look at your stuff. Yeah, you your money, but your house and your car, just your stuff. And you say, God, use this stuff to help other people become your disciple. I think if you have a disciple making culture as a disciple, you regularly can, can say, this is someone right now that I am, I'm investing in, I'm discipling. And here's someone who has discipled me. I wonder how many of you could say that right now. It means as a church that we see the corporate worship gathering on Sunday as a primary way to help us live for Jesus Monday through Saturday. This gathering is wonderful, but this gathering is not the game. (laughs) This is like the halftime speech, getting you ready to play the game, Monday through Saturday. It means as a church, we put a lot of value on leadership development and and sending people to multiply as disciple makers, even planting new churches. It means as a student, I don't know if we have students in here, it means that you see your school not only as somewhat a place to learn, but the primary mission field that God has given you and you and you to invest in your friends at school. Maybe you wanna start a 419 group. We'll tell you what those are in a couple weeks to become a disciple maker At school, it means if you go to the gym, that the gym is not merely a place to work out. No, the gym is a collection of people that God wants you to reach, that He wants you to invest in to disciple so they could follow Jesus. It means as a parent, you take on the incredible privilege and responsibility to become the primary disciple maker of your kids. And can I just give a special little emphasis here, not only to the incredible role that moms play and moms are amazing, but can I challenge dads to become the primary disciple maker in your home and do what it is that God has called you to do as a spiritual leader in your home, as a dad. It means as a servant, you develop a heart for serving our city, especially the poor and the vulnerable, people who may not look like you, have what you have, But like Jesus, you minister to them. As a follower of Jesus, you have a trusted group of people, check this out, that you could actually confess your sins to. That's what James 5 says. Confess your sins one to another and find healing for your souls. I wonder how many trusted friends you have right now that you could call and confess your sins to. Most of you, the answer is zero. But that's what a disciple-making culture produces. It means as a follower of Jesus that that you create margin in your schedule for one reason, and that is to invest in others. It means as a church, we're raising up a generation of God called pastors, sent ones, ministry leaders. It means as a connect group, that you're not merely just another worship service where they come and hear someone talk for 50 minutes. No, no, your main job is to disciple people and to be multiplying more groups. And maybe the last thing I'd say that if we have a disciple making a culture here at Johns Ferry, it means as, as a disciple, you say this, that culture starts with me. Doesn't start with him, doesn't start with the pastor, doesn't start with that person down the row. No, no, it starts with me. And, and I would love for you to just pray about that because this is God's heart, that we produce fruit, that we abide in him. And that by abiding in him, the fruit not only changes our life, but that we change others. So that yes, we have found Jesus, we are following in the ways of Jesus, but we're also leading others to do the same. That's my prayer for our one thing in 2024. And I pray that you would join that journey with us. I wanna give you just some space this morning to hear from the Lord and just to ask him, God, what do you want me to do with what I just heard? Father, right now, we're gonna pray both here in the activity center and the sanctuary. And Lord, that's our prayer. God, we know that you have a heart for this because this is what Jesus did. But Lord, what do you wanna do in our life? In spite of our own failures and junk and all the ways that we see that we still have to grow as your disciple, Lord, what, what do you want to do in my life to help me to disciple others? God, speak to us now. pray this morning that your voice would be the loudest one in our ears, and that, God, we would have the courage to do what you've called us to do. Lord, be our vision. Point us in the direction. Build our lives on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.